0: Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word.
1: Hi everybody, it's Dr. Rick. Uh, It's Monday morning and time for our continuing study as we look through the topics and image bearers today, we're gonna to talk about the, uh, the precious nature of life, particularly as it relates to those uh, with special needs. Um, you may be wondering why I'm not in my office. Um, just kind of give you guys a little bit of a heads up. Um, Rodney Richardson that we've prayed for several times over the last several weeks, uh, one of our dads, and also um, one of my very, very good friends from the Hattiesburg area, Went to be with the Lord on Friday and uh and so I'm actually headed to his funeral today uh to spend time with uh with him his family uh, his children and his wife and and some other folks in the community there in in Hattiesburg and um uh, to celebrate the the life that uh that Rodney lived and um it's kind of fitting, I think, today, you know, even as we consider this topic, because this is something that uh, Rodney, quite frankly, gave his life for in in very tangible ways. And I think that what we're going to talk about today is something that's really near and dear to our heart, um, those of us that, uh, you know, that that claim the name of Jesus and have a passion for orphan and vulnerable children. But what we're going to see is, is that that same heart that God has for gospel-centered work in in caring for orphaned and vulnerable children is also true as it as it relates to um, people with special needs and 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 people that with illnesses and and all manner of things that are um, you know that are that are troubling and, and place limitations on people. And so we just want to affirm today that life, um, all life, is precious. Um, there's a war going on right now in our world to uh, really to eradicate special needs. There's a, there's an article that I ran across in in, in the Atlantic magazine uh, from this past year where um, they were talking more about the, the lack of people living with down syndrome in Iceland and the fact that, that the, the country of Iceland has almost completely eradicated down syndrome. And, and so when we hear that, you know, we might be drawn to think that that's a good thing, but, but the truth is that there, there are some really um, extreme things and, and some, some extremely grotesque things uh, that are going on around the world um, in, in eliminating uh, special needs and in eliminating um, people with, with all kinds of um, syndromes and inabilities and uh, limitations in their lives. Um, it, it's almost um, a, a Hitler-style genocide of people who who have special needs. And so I'm going to read a little excerpt, uh, about three paragraphs out of this article, just to set a little bit of context for what we're talking about today. So every few weeks, uh, Greta Fault Hansen gets a call from a stranger asking a question for the first time. What is it like to raise a child with Down syndrome? Sometimes the caller is a pregnant woman deciding whether to have an abortion. Sometimes a husband and wife are on the line, two of them agonizing in disagreement. Once Fight Hansen remembers, it, it, it was a couple who had waited for their potential screening to come back normal before announcing the pregnancy to friends and families. We wanted to wait, they told their loved ones, because if it had Down syndrome, we would have had an abortion. They called Fight Hansen after their daughter was born with slanted eyes and a flattened nose and most unmistakable, the extra copy of chromosome 21 that defines down syndrome. They were afraid their friends and family would now think they didn't love their daughter. So heavy are the moral judgments that accompany wanting or not wanting to bring a child with a disability into the world. All of these people get in touch with fight Hansen, a 54 year old school teacher, because she leads, um, lands for getting, I can't pronounce it, Down syndrome or the National Down Syndrome Association in Denmark. And because she herself has an 18-year-old son, Carl Emil, with Down syndrome. Carl Emil was diagnosed after he was born. She remembers how fragile he felt in her arms and how she worried about his health, but mostly she remembers, I thought he was so cute. Two years after he was born, in in 2004, Denmark became one of the first countries in the world to offer prenatal Down syndrome screening to every pregnant woman, regardless of the age or other risk factors. Nearly all expecting mothers choose to take the test. Of those who get a Down syndrome diagnosis, more than 95% choose to abort. Denmark is not on its surface uh, particularly hostile to disability. People with Down syndrome are entitled to health care, education, even money for the special shoes that fit their wider, more flexible feet. If you ask Danes about the syndrome, they're likely to bring up Morton and Peter, two friends with Down syndrome who starred in popular TV programs where they cracked jokes and dissected soccer games. Yet a gulf seems to separate the publicly expressed attitudes and private decisions, Since universal screening was introduced, the number of children born with Down syndrome has fallen sharply. In 2019, only 18 were born in the entire country. About 6,000 children with Down syndrome were born in the United States every year. And I think what we what we see is um, is happening in Denmark and Iceland and and other places around the world is 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 we're seeing maybe more advanced than we see it here in the United States um, playing out right in front of us. The a, a fundamental question that that surrounds our society and is causing many decisions to be made. And that fundamental question is ultimately what determines the value of a person? The prevailing sentiment of our culture is that value is determined by a person's contribution to society. A person is worth what he or she can produce. When an individual lacks the ability to contribute to the, to, to the society or to care for himself or herself, then ultimately um, that person is no longer worthy of life in the eyes of many. And there's so many decisions that are being made, um, both overtly and also subtly in our society, um, built around this idea of 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 eradicating people that are different, eradicating people with special needs, eradicating people who cost more than they can produce, and and I think you know that that you and I, even as we as we wrestle with the abortion issue and we wrestle with what we um, you know with what we do in in our work with birth moms, I think one of the silent crises that out there that's out there is the is really the tacit approval of of parents choosing abortion for their children because they know that there's there's some sort of defect or some sort of malady that's going to make their life difficult or short or or perhaps um, you know rendering them to be a burden quote unquote as opposed to being um, someone who is who is able to contribute or someone who is able to take care of themselves and what we want to declare today is, and, and we just want to look into God's word for, for a little bit of, of a true north for us, is that in God's economy, the rules of value are, are much different. Um, value is not determined in terms of anything that's created, but rather um, value in, in God's economy is determined in terms of the creator. God sets the value because of who he is. Ultimately, he's the standard of value, and that and that God's creative work is is ultimately putting um, the that value on display. And so, it's not a question of of whether something can can produce or contribute, um, but that every person, no matter their ability to contribute or their inability to produce things that others think are worthy, is uh, is valuable and has worth in the economy of God. But ultimately, Satan is, it uses the difficulty of this world and uses the, the fallibility and the sinfulness of, of all of us that are in it in order to, to challenge that thought in our mind, in order for, for us to, um, th- to live under the curse of sin to begin to be deluded to the fact that there are people who, who have been given life by God that are ultimately not worthy of that life. And you see what we what we see is that Satan's been using that strategy for for a long long time. If we go back into the book of Exodus right at the beginning of Exodus, we see um, perhaps the first story on on a on a global level or on a on a societal level where where Satan tried to use the strategy of 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 there being a a challenge against life um, and so we're going to begin in verse eight of, um, of chapter one of Exodus. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So in other words, here's here's Pharaoh who is who's responsible for leading the, the children of Israel or leading the nation of, of Egypt and the children of Israel are are enslaved by the Egyptians right And so that means literally that that the, the children of Israel be, are being looked at as property. Um, they're treated no different than than furniture or houses or animals. They they they're not given inherent respect or dignity and and ultimately that that they're being judged on the same principle that we talk about, that, that the Egyptian society is only looking at the, the the worth or at least the Egyptian leadership is only looking at the worth of the Israelites based on their ability to um, to to be able to produce and to be able to build things and 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 to to provide labor so that the lives of the 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 Egyptians are enriched and and made better and made easier. And and so what we see here is is Pharaoh basically becoming concerned because God's blessing the nation of Israel they're they're having children and their nation is growing. And and so Pharaoh begins to. To concoct this plan, he's he's essentially at this point doing population management. He's 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 trying to work the numbers and work the angles in order to to maximize the production of Israel while minimizing the bother and the challenge that comes from them. So, verse eleven says, "Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, fitham and, and Ramses, but." when you serve as a midwife to the hebrew women see that and see them on the birth stool if it is a son you shall kill him but if it is a daughter she shall live so in other words pharaoh was was setting about a plan and 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 he had the support of the society around him that they didn't need to allow um Hebrew boys to be born because because boys being born to Israel would mean that their armies would be greater it would mean that their numbers could overtake the Egyptians and so literally they were they were eradicating and, and had decided that in this in this effect that sort of like being a boy was a special need at this point that it was something that was that was hard and it was something that was challenging to the society and it was ultimately something that wasn't desired and so and so it, since it wasn't good for Society at whole, as a whole, they ended up deciding to to make it and call it bad, and that and that everybody in the society just began to to think that way and really didn't question anything about the inherent dignity of life or or the inherent goodness of life. They put a plan in place where they 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 convinced or tried to convince these midwives to 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 begin to walk out a plan to kill male children when even as they were being born. And so, ultimately, what we see is that it says, so the king of Egypt called on the, called the midwives and said to them, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So, the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, what have you done? Why have you done this? And let the male children live the midwife said to pharaoh because the hebrew women are not like the egyptian women for they're vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them so god dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong and so in other words the the midwives concealed the fact that they were doing their work they told pharaoh and 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 we that that's a, that's a that's an ethical question for another time, but the midwives essentially told Pharaoh, "Hey, look, they're having babies because they're because they're strong and 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 they're healthy people and 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 their strength and their vitality. They're having these babies before we even come to assist them, so we're not able to kill the male children because they're because they're already there and because they're already alive. So God God ultimately protected the midwives and 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 protected the people of Israel, and they continued to be born. And it says." And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. That's ending in verse 16 or verse verse 21. Of Exodus chapter one, and we know that the the rest of the story goes on. That Moses was one of those babies that was born and was supposed to be cast into the river, but his his he, but he was placed in a basket and and and, and placed afloat float in the river, and ultimately became the adopted um, son of uh, of Pharaoh's daughter. And so we you know we know that God ultimately in His providence um, takes care of of those who can't take care of themselves but but we also see a really powerful picture here that that when it comes to these these things that society sort of rules that are outside of the norm this is beyond what we can bear as a society and today it's not being male that causes you to be killed in the womb it's it's being it's having a disability it's having having some some um difference that that causes you to 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 be difficult to care for or causes um, difficulty or suffering to those around you that are trying to care for you it's it, it it's trying to eradicate diseases and things that um that, that that befall people in order to in order to cost less so that so that they're not a burden on our society and and y'all like we we hear that all the time but i think we hear it to the point that we become deaf to it and it's no different than than in the day of pharaoh when pharaoh was saying the the boys are dangerous and so kill all the boys and we ultimately see in Exodus chapter one, and the and the rest of the Pentateuch is the story of of how Moses led the children of Israel, and how Moses did um, what God had called him to do. But Moses couldn't have done what God had called him to do unless he lived. And the fact that he he lived and he was protected was because was because some people valued life, and because they didn't they didn't go with the current of society. And I think one of the things that we have to learn is that that in the midst of a society that continues to to make rules and and continues to to make policies that are that are bent around the destruction of those that are different and those that are difficult, it is our responsibility as people who follow Jesus Christ to 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 push to have those laws changed, but also to disobey those laws. Um, when they come against life, and so ultimately, um, you and I may be called into places where, in the future, uh, there are things that are asked of us that go outside of our conscience. In order, um, in in the in the the protecting and, um, and the cherishing of life. And, and ultimately, we may, we may know that the way our society is going, that we may have to make choices personally to preserve life and to protect life and to champion life, even when laws say that life should be taken. And we're not in that place right now, but we're not far from it. And things, things that we thought um, 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years ago that were unthinkable in, in euthanasia and, and in the, 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 the taking of lives that, that cost economic resources and cause bother uh, and, and cause inconvenience to people. Um, ultimately, the, those lives are routinely being taken today. And we may be looking at a day at some point where our society mandates that those lives may, must be taken. And so for you and I as Christians, we have to, we have to understand that, that we are held to a different ethic because we're not citizens of this kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And ultimately, in the kingdom of heaven, we know that, um, that the poor, the downtrodden, the afflicted, the broken, all of those people are cherished and esteemed in, in, the, in the economy of God. A second example that we see is in the story of the, the birth lineage of Jesus. And, and so we see in uh, Matthew chapter 2, it says, beginning of verse 2 Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the king, born king of the Jews? For we see it saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and this is, this is the quotation, and, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may worship him." And then we know that, that God ultimately revealed to the wise men that they were being manipulated by Herod and that Herod was purposing to kill the Christ child. And so, so they didn't. They, they ended up uh, fooling Herod. And, and so then in verse 16, we see that Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained. From the wise men. And we know that 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 God had ultimately protected Jesus, that that Joseph was was impressed and and, and was told to move his family. And so they were they were out of harm's way before um, the plot of Herod came against. But again, here is, is Herod trying to maintain the the good and the health of society, right? And I would imagine if you were living in, um, in the time of Jesus and you were hearing these things, you were hearing leaders that were saying things that sounded very good about why these unspeakably terrible things had to happen. They had good arguments. They probably sounded very winsome. They, they probably sounded very logical, and, and they ultimately appealed to our, our own sense of self-protection. Because right, that's that's the part of this that that God that 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 Satan pr- uh, sort of presses into and challenges about God's economy of things. He presses in, and he either challenges us on the basis of us being worried for ourselves, and and so it so it's it's our own self preservation, or or he he presses into us and and he presses on um, on on our our need to our, our need to feed our ego and our need to flourish. Um, and and so today we hear it kind of happen in one of two things. One argument is that 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 we have the right to determine for ourselves. And so a woman's body is her body, and it's only hers to choose what happens with it. And we don't regard the life of an unborn child. We only regard the life of the woman because because ultimately that we're sovereign over ourselves, and that's just original sin and a different wrapper. We see also this, this this idea that Herod's appealing and saying, "Look, the whole fabric of society is going to fall apart if a king comes and a war happens, and so we need to get rid of the baby boys in order to to protect our society, and so it's for the good of everyone that we do this thing, and so it may sound like it's bad, but it's really good, and and I would imagine that there were a lot of people that looked like bobbleheads in that in that society that were that were sitting around and saying, "Yes, we believe it's a good thing. We know it's a hard thing to do, and you know we we know it's a little bit challenging." But at the end of the day, it's the right thing to do because because it keeps our society together. But you see, God has always called on us as his people to care for those with special needs on his behalf. Go back again into the Old Testament and look at Leviticus chapter 19. Um, God says directly to the people, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So in other words, God says very directly that you're not to victimize and and you're not to take advantage of those who can't see and can't hear. For those that that have a special need, and and you're supposed to take care of them. You're not supposed to make a profit upon them. You're not to, to move the marker of their land because they can't see it. You're supposed to seek justice for them. You're supposed to seek good and welfare for them, even when they can't seek it for themselves. Deuteronomy 27, 18, these are, by the way, parallel passages that, that are right around the same places where God's talking about taking care of widows and taking care of orphans. Deuteronomy 27, 18 says it differently from the negative. He says, curse be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road and, and the people shall say, amen. In other words, the people shall say, let it be so. And so God, God is saying ultimately that, that, that he that he ultimately will exact judgment on those who mislead the blind. Look at the parable of the the great banquet, the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14 about about what the kingdom of God is going to be like. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, God is talking about and he's he's foreshadowing. Jesus is foreshadowing the kingdom of God because we ultimately are the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. We are the spiritually poor. Blessed be the poor. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, why Why the emphasis on the poor? Why the emphasis on the lame? Why the emphasis on the crippled? Because ultimately, that's who we are in a spiritual sense because of our sin. We're broken and separated from God and unable to help ourselves. We are a burden upon God. We are a burden upon the world. Ultimately, this whole mess is our fault, and and it's a result of our sin and the sin of every human being that's ever lived. God didn't create the world broken, we broke it. And because of our brokenness and because of our fallibility and because of our inability to get out of our own way, ultimately God has provided for us in Jesus and he's provided a way for us to be restored and to be made whole. But we're not supposed to walk around in our wholeness and, and wear that as something that makes us better than other people. No, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to wear our wholeness in a way that that points to the glory of God and points to the work of God and in, 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 in Jesus and the miracle of the gospel story. So, very quickly, I think what that tells us is something that's probably obvious to you at this point that valuing those was in when we value those who have special needs, we have an opportunity to put the gospel on display. First Corinthians chapter one, verses 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. boast in the Lord. Ultimately when we when we care for and value Men and women, boys and girls with special needs. When we care for and value men and women and boys and girls with terminal illnesses and, and, and when, when, we, um, when we value and esteem those who are destitute and poor and who cannot care for themselves, those who are intellectually challenged and don't have the ability to be able to care for themselves, when we do that work, we ultimately are putting the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. And Paul says it right there in, in 1 Corinthians. He's reminding the church that, that it's not our, our place and, and it's not our responsibility just to care for those who are easy to care for. It's not our responsibility and it's not our calling to only um, be with people who are like us. It's, it's, not, it's not our calling and it's not our responsibility only to do the easy things. But ultimately, when we press in, to difficulty and suffering. And, and, and when um, when we ultimately care and value, when the world says that a life has no value, we're ultimately testifying to the fact that there is a different economy and it's based upon God. And that God, when he looked at us in, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our frailty in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion, when he looked at us, he did not think we were a lost cause. He didn't think we weren't worth it. He didn't think the price was too high. He didn't think the course was too difficult. He set about a plan from before the very foundation of the world. That means before any of this stuff happened, God already knew and it was already God's plan that that's what he was going to do. And and so that also means that before before any of this stuff happened, God knew that that babies are going to be born with with syndromes and maladies and, and medical conditions that sometimes aren't easily corrected and sometimes can't be corrected. It means that God, God knows that there are going to be people that are going to be born with, with severe mental incapacity. He knows that the, the God understands all of that. And at the heart of God is that we will press into those things, not that we'll run from, them, not that we'll eliminate them, not that we'll, we'll allow abortions to be able to take those lives, but ultimately that we will be a people that will rally around and, and will be a people that will ultimately care for those lives. And I think this is really a word for the church here. And so hear me for just a second. I'm going to get up on up on a soapbox for just a minute. One of the most difficult places many times for families with special needs to really be able to find peace and comfort is within the church. Because in, in school settings and hospital settings and all kinds of places, those places are prepared to, to be able to care for the needs of, of those who are, who are difficult and who are living at the margins for those who are intellectually disabled, for those who are physically disabled, for those who, for those who are, uh, are, 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 sick and challenged and, 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 and for many, many, many people who can't care for themselves, but in the church, largely churches still stand unprepared. And so, one of the things I want to challenge us to do at, at Lifeline is to continue to build resources, to continue to do education, to continue to, to build capacity among the church so that God's people can be the very best in the community at caring for those who, who are the most difficult to care for. That in the church, we won't be fettered with the gospel because we don't have a place for people, because, because we've stretched and, and we've made a place for people and would the god that we would be known as the as the local churches in our community and as the church of our lord jesus christ that we are exactly the right place and the most inviting place and the most accepting place and the most caring place and the most serving place of those who don't have any other place because of the difficulties that have befallen and that we would not be like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the people, the religious leaders who who just didn't get it. John chapter nine, verses one through three, Jesus is, is before he heals a man who was blind from birth. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says nobody did anything wrong. It wasn't because of their personal sin. It wasn't because because somebody did something wrong. There was no the, the karma doesn't exist. But that ultimately God allowed that life to be created and he allowed that man to be born blind and so blind so that the power of God might be put on display in his life. And I just challenge you, who is there that's around us that that is struggling, that can't take care of themselves, that can't provide for themselves, that 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 just won't ever, you know, really... Be a success in the in the terms that the that the world puts together for success. Who are the people around us that we can love and care for and esteem? And ultimately, how is it that God is desiring to put His power on display through their lives? And how does He want you and me to to function, to come alongside them, to help them in Jesus' name in order for that to happen? And so this week, I hope we'll consider being people who do hard things. I hope we'll consider to press in and and go harder to come alongside families who are trying to do hard things and that we ultimately will will rest in the assurance that those hard things are things that bless our Lord and ultimately that put the truth of the economy of the kingdom of God on display. Jeremy's going to um, take prayer requests. I, I, I'm praying for you guys today. Um, please pray for me. Pray for the Richardson family as, uh, as they say goodbye finally um, to, their, to their father and husband and son and friend um, and, and just a, a godly man that we're all missing today. And so I love you and Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow.